chasing blank. I, I don't know what the blank is in your life, but here's what I do know. In the rat race of life, every single one of us, at one time or another, has spent our life chasing something, looking to find that blank, hoping that that blank will bring the fulfillment that we know we're missing in our lives. And what happens is we catch that blank. Every once in a while we catch that blank. And for a brief time, it does exactly what we thought it would do. It fills that blank. But very quickly, we're right back to that void in our life because it finds itself lacking. That blank in our life finds itself empty because we're busy spending our life chasing blank instead of chasing Jesus. I don't know what your blank is over the last couple of weeks. The first week, we talked about chasing fame. And we talked about how we live in this social media time. And, and everybody at first was like, oh, yeah, that's not me. I don't worry about being famous. But, but we do because we worry about how many people hit like on our Facebook post and how many people share this and how many people know us at the ball field or how many people know us at work. And so we're chasing fame. And then last week, we talked about a chasing approval how every one of us have somebody in our life. It might be our parents, it might be our spouse, it might be our boss at work, it might be a friend. It, who knows, it might be our children. We have somebody that we're doing everything that we do to simply get their approval. And today we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of us might even think is a good thing when really it's a bad thing. There's a phrase nowadays Especially, again, in social media, everybody loves to post their selfies and post all their stuff that they're doing. They're on vacation, they're on the beach, they're at a concert, they're out shooting pool, they're off on the hot date, they're off with the kids at the playground, because Lord knows we can't live in the moment anymore, we have to Facebook it. I mean, let me repeat that one more time. Lord knows we can't live in the moment, we have to Facebook it. I took Emily to uh, the Thomas Rhett concert a couple of weeks ago, and I was blown away by this is now how people watch concerts. Like they're watching the live concert through their phone while they video the concert for everybody who didn't buy tickets to go see it, instead of just enjoying the moment. We were down in the pit, and Emily was down there, and she wanted to be in the pit. We had really, we know someone down there, and they gave us good seats. And I said, but you can also go in the pit. And I told him, I said, you're short. You're not going to go down in the pit. And she's like, I want to go down in the pit. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking, man, I'm old. I don't want to stand for four hours in the pit. And it sounds horrible to me. And I get down there with Emily, and Emily's 12. And she can't see anything. But here was the thing that struck me. She didn't care that she couldn't see anything. She cared that she was so short she couldn't video anything. Because she had to look good on social media. And every time we post something, the hot new hashtag or the hot new phrase is living my best life. Oh, here's my leg shot on the beach. Living my best life. Oh, out shooting pool. Just living my best life. There's books on how to live your best life. The hottest rated podcast on iTunes are podcasts about how to live your best life. 
Preachers preach sermons on how to live your best life. (laughs) They actually sell medicine now. They give people medicine now that puts their mind in a mindset of everything they're doing is great, man. You're living your best life. The other day, I kid you not, I saw someone at Taco Bell. Taco Bell, TB, living my best life. Now listen, you don't get a body like this without loving some Taco Bell. So I ain't crapping on you for liking TB, okay? But if Taco Bell is living your best life, your standard for what your best life is, is very low. Now I'm old school Taco Bell. Like I remember 59, 79, 99 Taco Bell. If you remember that, that means you're over 40. I'll tell you this. I used to work the only real job I've ever had in my life. The only time I've ever worked for somebody else in my life is I worked for Motorola right out of high school. It was a big production plant, and I worked third shift. And um, the only restaurant I passed every night on my way to work was Taco Bell. And this was right before the, the Olympics came to Atlanta. Do you remember when the Olympics came to Atlanta? So we were working seven days a week. So every night, every night, to the tune of 267 nights in a row, I ate Taco Bell. That's how I rolled. Two soft tacos, two bean burritos, and a Mountain Dew, 249. So I love me some Taco Bell. But Taco Bell is not living your best life. We have to make everybody think that we have the best of everything. Oh my gosh, this cup of coffee, living my best life now. It's the best cup of coffee I've ever had. You know. It's the best hamburger I've ever had. Like everything is the best. Everything has to be living your best life. Did you know I found out this week that there is a company out there, this blows my mind. First of all, it blows my mind that people pay for it. Second of all, it makes me angry that I didn't think of it. Robin, we could have made a lot of money with this, and wait till you hear it. For $49.95, you go into their studios, and they will take pictures of you in whatever place you always dreamed of going on vacation to. So you can then post those pictures on your social media where you're living your best life. I have an appointment next week because I've always wanted to go on an African safari. <laughs> and I want people to think I've been there, so I'm going to live my best life now in that studio next to like a big dead elephant, you know, or something like that. I don't know. I'm living my best life. Just got back from Egypt. You know, $49.95. Man, think about all the money you can save faking that you're living your best life. Matter of fact, I'd even go to the standpoint that it seems to me, not always, not always, but it seems to me that those who post the most about living their best life are normally the most miserable people in real life. Not always. Not always. There's certain people, I believe, 
I always have always wanted to love like Rhonda and Ken. I when Rhonda posts about Ken, and whatever warped disconnect goes on in her mind where she thinks Ken is the greatest thing in the world, I believe her. But so many people post all the time, and I'm like, man, they got a bad marriage. How do you know? Look how much they post about each other. Like, you just know it's fake. Off with the husband at Ingalls, living my best life. <laughs> like, everything is not living your best life. But that's the way we're wired. We're chasing things, and one of the things that we're so busy chasing is comfort. We want a life of comfort. We want a life of ease. Whatever it is, we want the life that we always imagined, and it can be different for everybody. For some people, it's the white picket fence. For some people, it's a life of travel. It's a life of being able to do what we want, when we want, and not worry about the consequences of what we do and how much it costs and how much time we take off from work. It's the ability to be comfortable. How much money do you need? I just need, I just need enough to be comfortable. I, I just want to be comfortable, Gary. I, I just want to own my own home and not worry about paying rent and the landlord doing it. I comfort. We crave comfort. Now, just like any of the things that we're talking about, there is nothing wrong with comfort in of itself. But when you begin to chase comfort... When you begin to get consumed with comfort, when your goal in life is comfort, comfort becomes an idol, and we've said that anything you pursue more than you pursue Christ is idolatry. Good things can be idolatry. Your spouse can be an idol. Working out can be an idol. The good things can be idols if those good things get placed above Jesus in our lives. I got to be honest with you, I've struggled most of my life chasing comfort. You're going to find this very surprising about me, but he asked me, I'll tell you, what do you want out of life? And I'm like, I just, <laughs> you're going to laugh, okay? I just want to be drama free. <laughs> I know, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm laying on the black couch the other day at the counselor's office, and she's like, if you could just do anything in life, what would you do? I said, man, I'd find me a little country church in the mountains that's got about 50 old people that just want me to preach and marry their children and bury them when they die and sit on the front porch and drink sweet tea and they really don't want to grow. They don't want to do anything. I just want to be chilled out. And literally, my counselor started laughing. I said, what? She said, that would last about 14 days, two Sundays. And she said, it wouldn't even last 14 days except you would only be there two of the 14 days and you'd go crazy. And I said, no, that's what I want you to no, she goes, she didn't even know what I was preaching. She said, you have this illusion of comfort. The pursuit of comfort. That carrot that we're always chasing, and yet we can't ever catch. 
Because comfort's a moving target. They say, when they ask people who make money, they ask people, I've shared this with you before, they ask people who make $50,000 a year, and they're like, what do you need to be comfortable? And the people who make $50,000 a year say, I need to make $100,000 a year. And they ask people who make $100,000 a year, what do you need to be comfortable? And they always say, I need about $200,000 a year. And they ask the people who make $200,000 a year, what do you need to be comfortable? Now we say, I need $400,000. And on and on, it's always double. We always think if we can get double what we're at, we'll be comfortable, but we won't be. Because we're always chasing comfort. <laughs> Scripture's kind of a gut punch when it comes to comfort. And Scripture is kind of a gut punch to what I feel like a lot of preachers are preaching nowadays when it comes to living your best life. It seems like that seems to be the message in the church today. Live your best life. Pursue what you want to do. Everything will be great. And I believe God creates you for a purpose, and I believe God has a plan for your life, and I have, believe you ought to chase that purpose and that passion with everything in your life. But nowhere in the Bible do I see that we were created, we were made, we were shaped, we were born to be comfortable. Matter of fact, dare I say, Dare I say the biggest lie that goes on in the church, and I have to admit, back in the day, I was guilty of saying this because it was called a preacher cliche. Preachers would get up on stage and say, the safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. There's nothing safe about the center of God's will. The greatest place you can be is the center of God's will. The best place you can be is the center of God's will. But there was nothing safe for Daniel in the center of God's will when he ended up in the lions, the pit with the lion. There was nothing safe about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they ended up in a fiery furnace for their faith in God in the center of God's will. The center of God's will had our Savior hung on a cross. It's the greatest place you can be. But here in America, it is, we, we tend to think it's the safest place, and that's not true. Go tell Christians in China who can die for their faith, it's the safest place you can be. The center of God's will is the most dangerous place you can be. But it's the most fulfilling place you can be. Man. In the book of John, 1 John, John wrote this, and John was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He had 12 disciples. There was three of them that were kind of his, his ride or dies. They were the inner circle. Everywhere Jesus went, these three guys went, and John was one of these people. And nothing happened in the context of ministry for three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry that John didn't witness. He even was at the foot of the cross beside Jesus' mother as Jesus hung on the cross. He saw everything that Jesus went through. And he saw that there was some dangerous theology popping up in the early church. And John, not being one to mince his words, decided he was going to head it straight on. But see, John knew about the persecution that Jesus went through. He knew about the struggle the disciples went through. So when he saw the church get established and local churches were being planted and their message went from one of danger and one of risk and one of excitement to a message of comfort, he confronted it head on and said this in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
Love for the Father is not in him. You could change that to literally mean do not love comfort or anything comfort brings. When he's talking about the world there, he's talking about the things that the world says we need to be comfortable. He's saying if you're living a life to be comfortable, you're missing out on the love of the Father. You're missing it. Literally 17 times in 1 John, he uses this word world. 17 times. It literally means the world, but contextually he's talking about, the, the best contextual definition means, he said, don't love the cultural system of the world. Don't love the way the world says we need certain things. Don't love the spirit of this world. When you love the spirit of the world more than you love Jesus, the love of God is not even in you. <laughs> and what does that mean? What is this? I mean, again, what is comfort? I, I told you different things. I, I just want to have enough of whatever the heck I want, whenever I want it, to do whatever I want to with whoever I want to, with no pesky distractions. You know, I, I just want that. I, I just want this, and I want that, and I want that, and I want this. And basically what we're saying is, I want a life, don't miss this, I want a life that is so comfortable. I want a life that is so comfortable that God is not necessary. I want a marriage so comfortable. Oh, by the way, I've met with married people for about 20-something years now. Let me tell you the most dangerous word you'll ever hear when it comes to a marriage. I think we just got comfortable. I, I, I think we just got comfortable. I, I want my marriage to be so comfortable that I can just do it in my sleep. I can just go through the motions, and I don't really need God in my marriage. I want my passion to be something that I just become comfortable with it, man. I, I can give out food and run the food pantry on Wednesday nights in my sleep. Ah, it's easy. I just want to be comfortable. You know, I just, I can preach in my sleep. You let them preach a sermon? I've been doing that 22 years. It's easy. I don't know, I'm not going to study anymore. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to go recycle exactly this, this, and this. I'm just going to get comfortable. When I get comfortable, it's easy. And when it's easy, I don't need God in what I'm doing. And when I don't need God in what I'm doing, I'm in a real dangerous place. <laughs> Here's the thing. We have to be honest in our journey. Every one of us, we're wired to desire ease over struggle. Very few people are going to take the hard path intentionally, unless your name's Gary Lamb, over the easy path. We don't even like to dream about a five-year vision for our life because we don't want to think about the things that could go wrong over the next five years. We hate the struggle. 
But it takes the struggle, it takes the discomfort to get us where we are. It takes the comfort to make us who we are. I get asked all the time, would you change anything about your past? No. No. Nothing. What? But, 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 yeah, but, 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 but I am who I am today because of that struggle. It sucked when I was in it. But I dig where I am now. It almost killed me when I was in it. But I kind of dig it now. You've heard me use the phrase, we need to embrace the suck. Life is going to suck sometimes. The problem is, for so many of you, especially the generation behind me, is your parents have tried to shelter you from the suck. So when you turned 18 and got out on your own and life started to suck, you didn't know what to do with it because mommy and daddy weren't there to make it comfortable for you anymore. Or you're like a lot of kids, you're still 35, 36 years old and mommy and daddy are still making it comfortable. But that's another sermon for another day. We drift towards inactivity. We drift towards the lazy we drift towards the easy because it's human nature because we're afraid of pain. So we chase comfort. And in the process of chasing comfort, we miss out on what God has for our lives. It's easy to get comfortable. Don't believe me? How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you are married? Mm-hmm. You can put them down. Husband and wives, before you said I do, correct me if I'm wrong. Ladies, before you married him, he was pursuing you. I mean, he might have, even if you're my age, he might have showed up on this. I love you. I made this mixtape for you, girl. I'm going to go ahead and lay this out to you because I'm going to show you what kind of game I got. Six years ago, I made Christine, it was a CD because we didn't have it. I said, hey. You know, that's my game. That's how I got her. I got all these songs that made me think of you. Because I'm a big old redneck and can't say it myself with these songs, say it. I mean, we had gay. I mean, he might have even wrote a poem or something for you. I don't know. You know, I mean, he, he, he would do whatever. He'd go to great lengths. I, know. I mean, he, like, before you got married, he knew what this amazing thing called a florist was. Remember that? Like, he would show up and bring you flowers. Not because it was Valentine's Day or your anniversary or your birthday. Hey, hey, you remember before you got married, he would actually get up and walk away from the TV and come have dinner with you? Before you got married, if he passed gas in front of you, it was an accident and he was embarrassed. Sorry. All right, taco. Now it's like a thing of pride. He got comfortable. Oh, by the way, ladies, you're not exempt either. Remember before you got married and you'd shave your legs during the winter months? Oh, did I say that? 
Remember before you got married and you were at Zumba three times a week or Tybo or whatever it was? But you got him now. It's just more of me to love. Hey, hey, remember before you got married, ladies, and you'd go out on a date and you had date clothes and now you still have date clothes, but they're date yoga pants. They're like your good yoga pants. These are my good yoga pants. I mean, they got studs down the side of them. I don't work out in these. These are made for going out. Not a lot of amen, because the men are too scared to amen. And the ladies ain't going to amen. <laughs> we just drift. Life happens. And we get comfortable. We chase comfort, we catch it, and we don't realize that it destroys us. Today I want to talk to you about what comfort looks like. I want to talk to you about the dangers of chasing comfort. I want to talk to you about counterfeit comfort. A counterfeit is a, is a close representation of the actual thing. It's a close representation of something that has value, but it really has no value, it has no depth. And a lot of us are chasing this counterfeit comfort. Things that we think are going to bring us fulfillment and they're going to bring us comfort, but they don't. You need to understand two realities of chasing counterfeit comfort today. Number one, chasing counterfeit comfort really just reveals a spiritual emptiness in our life. Chasing comfort, it really just reveals a spiritual emptiness in our life. That's a problem. Chasing and pursuing and living this desired life that we've created in our mind that would bring us comfort, it, it just reveals like the verse we said, Xander, I didn't put this in there. I don't know if you can go back to that other verse, that, that first John verse, if that's possible. And it says, do not love the world if anyone loves the world. Love of the Father is not in them. And I used to read this verse. I used to read this verse and think, oh my gosh, I'm not to love my house. If I love my house, it means I don't love God. Oh, oh man, if I, if I love my car, I, I, I don't love God. I don't, I don't love God. Oh, I, I can't, if I, man, if I get excited and I love going on vacation, that means I don't love God. And, and that's not what it means. That's not what it means. He's saying here, there's, there, there's a depth of love. There's an aspect of love. There's an aspect of the Father's love. That when we're worried about the system of the world, we've not allowed this aspect of God's love to penetrate us. What it's saying is, what would our lives look like if we embraced a countercultural love where we love things that society looks at and says, man, they're unlovable? What would, would happen if we had this deep love for the poor that God inside of If we had this love for the broken, if we had God's love for the forgotten, if we had God's love for the faithful, what, what, what if we had God's love for the ones who serve him for all the wrong reasons? See, because sometimes we think just the poor, broken, broke, busted, disgusted, unlovable, but what about the people that, are, that call themselves Christians and they, they do horrible things in the name of Jesus and we think it's easy not to love us, but what if we loved like Jesus loved? 
how would it change our lives? If we loved the way God loves, we would not live our lives looking for the easy because you would be disturbed by what disturbs the heart of God. One of my favorite people in all the world is this guy I met at this co-working space I work at every day. He has three biological kids. And about four months ago, he adopted two children that he had had for two years that were in a rough situation. They'd been taken from their parents, and, and um, he took these kids in. The day after the adoption was official, DFAX came to him and said, hey, the mother of those two kids is pregnant again. We hate to even ask you this. But if it comes down to it, would you adopt this kid too? And I looked at him and said, what are you going to do? He said, you got a lot of praying to do. He looked at me and said, no, we don't. He said, we're going to take the kid. I said, yeah, but man, she just keeps messing up. And keep. He said, and that's the kid's fault? And then he said something that blew my mind. He said, we might be the only love of Jesus that kid ever sees. How do we say that no to that? Wow. That's countercultural. Because I'm thinking to myself, you've got six kids. Like, I kid you not, he already has a 15-passenger van that they roll in as a family vehicle. I make fun of him all the time because I'm an encourager like that. And he said, we didn't even have to think about it. Because that child needs to see the love of Jesus. What would happen if we got out of our comfort zone? What would happen if we got out of what we deemed as comfort and had that kind of heart? <laughs> Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one who died for all, and therefore all died, and he died after all, that those who should live, who live, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me break that down without the middle part. For Christ's love compels us that all those who live should no longer live for themselves. How do we live for ourselves when we live for comfort? When we're living for comfort, there's a spiritual emptiness in us. Christ says, I've left you here that you no longer live for yourself, but you live for him who died for them. That's deep. He said, I've left you here to live for others. And it's hard to live for others because here's the dealio with that. Those you help the most will hurt you the most. Can I tell you some stories? I ain't even got to tell you. Just go to social media. You'll read them. That's just the way it is. I hate people. People hurt you. I'm not. You want to be comfortable. You're comfortable when no one's hurting you. 
You're comfortable when no one's talking crap about you. You're comfortable when no one's spreading lies about you. You're comfortable when the person that you helped out reciprocates your, your love for helping them in the same way. But when they don't receive it and they, they backstab you even though you're trying to help them, you can't deal with that. But the problem is we're called nowhere to be comfortable. And when we need comfort, it shows spiritual emptiness. It shows that we don't truly grasp the love of Christ. And there's an aspect of Christ's love that's missing in us. I hope I'm not going over your head because I feel like I'm going over my own head. But chasing comfort reveals this spiritual emptiness. <laughs> the love of the Father loves anyway. That doesn't mean we don't put up boundaries. That doesn't mean we don't protect ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't protect our loved ones. But we're never called to be comfortable. I just want to move away. This is, this is my thing. I just want to move away where no one knows. I want to get off social media. I want to change my name. Like something manly. Like Buzz. Something like that. You know. I don't know why, just something like a one-word name. There's, there's Buzz. You know, I don't know. So, Stone. No, I can compete with The Rock. See, back to that fame and ego thing I talked about two weeks ago. Who's bigger, The Rock or Stone? Who knows? I'm sorry, I'm rabbit trailing right now. Um, sometimes I want to go where no one knows me and just start over. Take the family, move. Like, I'd like to know what it's like to be able to go to the grocery store and not have to listen to somebody stop me and tell me how their life's falling apart. Sometimes I'd like to get on Facebook and not have a direct message. Like, I'm not complaining about that. Just sometimes it wears you out. But that's comfort. And we're not called to live comfortably. I know God called me to this city. And so we're to go after people, even if they talk crap, even if they're ugly, even if they hate you. Yeah, you just talk crap. You just keep going. I, someone stopped me in the store the day and said, Gary Lamb. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, man, people hate you in this town. <laughs> I said, hey, thanks. Who are you? He said, no, man, I'm a fan. I'm just telling you, man, dude, people, my neighbor hates you. I said, who's your neighbor? He said, he's never even met you. I said, golly. Tell him I love him. Here's the deal. When we're chasing comfort out there, it means we're not chasing what we should be chasing in here. Chasing comfort reveals spiritual emptiness. Chasing comfort, number two, eliminates our need for faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, I love Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of the author of Hebrews kind of does this storyboard, this kind of reader's digest, if you will, of the great stories of the Old Testament. And, and they all start in one way. It's like by faith. By faith, Moses, with his speech impediment, stared down the most powerful human being on the planet, Pharaoh. By faith, he delivered God's people. By faith, Abraham left the home of his ancestors. He wandered out to discover the promised land that God had for him, even though God never told him who the promised land was. By faith, Noah, when it hadn't rained for years, built this boat knowing that a great flood was coming. Over and over and over. And not over and over and over, every story starts by faith. And over and over and over, not one of these people lived a life of comfort. Moses was almost killed for doing what God called him to do. Abraham wandered out and was almost killed 
for what God come to Noah dealt with years and years and years of ridicule as he built a boat. But by faith, they did what God called them to do. I don't need God to intervene in my life when I'm comfortable. I don't need God to intervene in my life when I've designed my life the way I want my life. I can control my own life my own way when I'm comfortable, and I don't need faith to do that. But when I get uncomfortable, and God tells me to go do something, or God tells me to go dream something, or God starts birthing something in me that's huge, I know then, man, this is so big, the only way this is going to happen is if God gets in the middle of it. What part of your life today are you helpless in unless God intervened? What part of your life, maybe it's your marriage, your marriage is so bad right now, the only way it's going to be restored is if God gets in the middle of it. Maybe your relationship with your kids, maybe you've stepped out on faith to, to chase a career, and it's so big, the only way it's ever going to happen is if God gets involved. See, when we step out in this discomfortable way, it requires us to have faith, and the Bible says this in Hebrews eleven six. and without faith, it is impossible to please God. I was reading this story this week of Justin Wren, he's a He's a heavyweight um, UFC fighter. And somewhere along the way in his career, he became aware of the reality that slavery still exists in the world. And so he flew to the Congo of Africa where the slavery still exists, and he saw these people, the pygmy people, who had their land literally taken from them, and then they were made to be slaves on their own land. And it tore him up. And he began to ask himself, how could he free these slaves who were slaves on their own land. And he said, well, we can begin the process of buying the land back. And as we buy the land back, we'll give it back to the pygmy people. That's a huge thing. So he began to buy the land, and the latest he's bought, I think it was, I read this week, it was 30,000 acres he's bought back and began to return to the pygmy people. But as he returned it to the pygmy people, he realized now they have their land, but they've lived in such horrible conditions, they can't do anything. They don't even have clean drinking water. So he began to raise money and devote his life, basically putting his career on hold, and began to raise money to dig wells where these people could have clean water. The pygmies gave him this name, a name it literally means the man who loves us. The man who loves us is what they call him. <laughs> and he began to build a foundation for these people, something way bigger than him, something way beyond him, something that he couldn't do on his own. And that's what the love of the Father does, but don't miss this. You know what else he began to do? Once he began to realize the pygmy people had enough land to go back and be free, he began to buy the rest of the land where the people who had enslaved them could have that land the right way and they could run their land on their own. And then he began to go to these people's land, the people who had enslaved the other people, and begin to put clean wells of water on their land where they could be productive on their own. You say, why would he do that? I, I get him helping the pygmy people. Why would he help these people? Because that's what the love of God does. Here was the funny thing. He said, when I was raising money for the pygmy people, I almost had to turn it down. There was so much coming in. 
He said, when I stepped out of that comfort zone and began to raise money now to help the people who had captive, held these people captive, these horrible people, but they were still people who knew no better and needed to be retaught, all the funds dried up. And he began to spend his own money to buy that land for these evil people. And now these people have seen the error of the ways and they've repented and they're working their land and they're doing their thing. Why? Because, man, chasing comfort eliminates our faith. What if he said, man, I'm just going to train. I'm just going to fight. <laughs> you cannot, I want to challenge you with this. You cannot pursue comfort and walk by faith at the same time. Can't, it's impossible. You can be comfortable or you can live by faith. Now, discomfort's different for different people. So let me say that. So, so we need to know what real comfort looks like. I don't want to spend all the time on counterfeit comfort because it's really not that thing. I was watching this documentary one time on counterfeit money, and they said as they trained the FBI agents to spot counterfeit money, they never one time touched counterfeit money. Never one time did they see counterfeit money. They study real money so much the print patterns of it, the typography of it, the cuts of it, the feel of it, the smell of it, the touch of it, the, the visual of it. They, they, they know the real thing so much that they can spot a fake immediately. So that's what we got to do with comfort. So I want to give you a couple things and we're going to get out of here today because I'm hungry. I want to show you what real comfort looks like. What real comfort looks like. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive ourselves from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also comfort abounds through Christ. Here, here's the full embodiment of what you're trying to do. There's a comfort that comes from being in the will of God. By the world's standards, it may be uncomfortable, but there's this peace that passes all understanding. There's a comfort of knowing you're in the center of God's will when you're truly in the center of God's will. When we try to get uncomfortable by the world's standards, God brings a comfort to us, and he brings a comfort to us. Don't miss this. The Father compassion God who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble. We have to get uncomfortable for God to bring us comfort where we can take that comfort and assist those who are uncomfortable. Man. That's the real thing. The real comfort comes when you have the faith to know the truth is in this book, not what the world says is comfortable. Better to live in a shack in the Congo and be in the center of God's will than to live in a big home in Canton, Georgia and be out of the will of God. By the world standard, the house here in Canton might be more comfortable. But the house in the Congo is going to bring you this peace that you're called to. 
As much as this place drives me crazy, as much as what this city drives me nuts and being under the microscope nonstop, there's times that it's uncomfortable. At the end of the day, there's always a peace and a comfort that I'm in the center of God's will, that God never told me it would be easy. He just told me he'd be with me. So here is what we're going to do. We're going to identify real divine comfort. First of all, we're going to embrace divine discomfort. We're going to embrace it. I want you to embrace the suck. I want you to learn how to welcome pain. I want you to be able to be somewhat open-armed with suffering. If you think about it, it's kind of like this. How many of you like chicken fried steak? Comfort. Something comfortable about southern cooking. How many of you like doing squats? Discomfort. Now, if I just eat country fried steak once, it's probably not going to affect me. And if I just do squats once, it's probably not going to affect me. But if I eat country fried steak three or four times a week, it's going to affect me different than if I do squats three or four times a week. The squats are uncomfortable, but it's going to benefit me. It's going to help me. We've got to embrace divine discomfort. Discomfort, it produces something in us. I love the way James puts it here in James chapter 1. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says, consider it joy. Has he lost his mind? No, because he's got a spiritual comfort instead of a worldly comfort. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete and lacking nothing. Consider it joy, because that pain is strengthening you. It's helping you. That word testing is this word. It's not a testing like you get a grade. It's a testing like it's getting the impurities out of you. They would take a big block of silver. They would bring the silver to liquid. And as they would begin to boil the silver, all the impurities would come to the top of the silver and they would scrape it off and they would let it harden again. Then they would begin to boil the silver again as they boiled it, all the impurities would come to the top and they would scrape it off. And every time they would scrape it, Less and less impurities would come until eventually they could see their reflection in the silver. That's what that word testing means. God's bringing you to a boil where he can swipe away those, in, those impurities, where he can swipe away. So he's getting you to the point so when he looks at you, don't miss this, he sees his reflection. But if you never went through the boiling point, if you never went through the hard times, if you never went through the pain, You'll never experience that. What if, what if, what if the sufferings that you're going through, what if the pain you're enduring is just God's way of revealing himself in your life? What if he's just saying, I'm just scraping away the impurities. You don't get the pain, but the pain's there, and I'm helping you. I'm putting you through the fire because I have a plan for your life. It's the testing of your faith that produces something that makes God smile. Had I not been through what I've been through in my life, my relationship with God wouldn't be what it is. Because I went through what I went through because of my relationship with Christ. 
It was superficial. It was fake. It was put on an air of appearances. It was go through the motions. I could read the Bible frontwards and backwards and tell you something, but I was a fake. When you lose it all, and it's all over the news, and everyone knows about it, and you have nothing to do your solo, all you can do is look up, it's during that time that God finally is like, now I can do something with you. Because you're looking to me instead of your comfort. We've got to embrace discomfort. Discomfort sucks, but you've got to embrace it. I've been working out a lot lately. I've been trying to really get my health in line because, man, I'm getting older and it's freaking me out. And I don't like, I just, I want to get in shape. And it's just, I want to take care of my body. And there was a trainer the other day and I was talking to him and he's at the gym and I was doing my thing and I got done. And he said, man, are you, let me ask you a question. He said, are you ever sore after you work out? I said, a little bit. He said, then you're not working out hard enough. I said, no, I'm out. I, I, Low weight, high reps, you know, I don't get sore. And he said, that's cool. He said, do low weight, high reps, but do a higher low weight. Because if you're not sore, if you're not breaking down, if you're not breaking down the muscles, they can't rebuild. I'm going to be looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger up here soon. <laughs> Y'all thought I was sexy now. Good God Almighty. And the buffer I get, I'm just going to get smaller shirts like the guys at the gym. Yeah, deal with it. That's how it's going to roll around here. That had nothing to do with the sermon. But you got to embrace that discomfort. You got to embrace it. Got to embrace it. Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering ultimately leads to hope. But you've got to embrace the suffering. We try to avoid the suffering. And we got preachers saying you ought to embrace it. If you're, if you're suffering, it's because you don't have faith. Hogwash. It's faith is built during the suffering. And last, I'm done. You need to embrace that this isn't your best life. It's not. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This place is temporary. We're just passing through here. Let me encourage you today. You will one day, die. You're not going to avoid it. No one ever has been able to live forever. You're going to die. Here's the good news about dying. It's not the end. Once you die, that's the best life you'll ever live. 
This is not your best life. This is an awesome life. It's an awesome gift. I want to suck that sucker dry, man. I want to max everything. That's just the way I'm wired. I want to enjoy every aspect of it. I want to, I love life. And as much as I love, I want to set the standard so high here that heaven has to up their game when I get there. But this is not our best life. This life is temporary. If you're living solely for this life, you're missing out on eternity. If you try to fulfill an internal longing, comfort, with temporary comfort, things here on this earth, I promise your life is going to be empty. (laughs) Bible says in Matthew 16, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Greatest thing you can do in this life is live your life for Christ. Live your life for his will. Do what he's called you to do. Quit living your life for your comfort. I'm a selfish person. Let me tell you what my life would be like. Go home. Shut the door. Shut the blinds kids do their thing no other kids are ever there i don't got to run them anywhere i eat dinner i go to bed i'm a boring person let me tell you how my life is though i come home there's never just our kids there there's 749 other kids there always even on school nights parents why do you let your kids spend the night at my house on a school night i don't understand it school night I wasn't allowed to spend the night anywhere else when I was a kid. They do. Always kids at our house. Always people at our house. Always animals at our house. It's crazy. It's so different than the way I'm wired. (laughs) Drives me crazy. But God never called us to be comfortable I'm comfortable in. Because my wife has her own passions and my wife has her own comforts and my wife has her own callings and apparently her calling is to bring every kid in Canton into our home. <laughs> she lets me live my passion, so I'll let her live her passions even though it makes me uncomfortable. You gotta live the life you're called for. I'm done right here. This is what scripture means when they say, no eye is seen, nor ear is heard, and no mind is imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Here's the deal. This is not your best life. Heaven is. We don't like to talk about that because we truly don't believe it. We only believe it at a funeral. But God's created a place for us and it's called heaven and we're gonna live forever. You say, you really believe that? I do, I do. And I gotta be honest with you, I battle with that a lot lately. I've been watching, watching this documentary the other day about this teenage kid who committed suicide and I was sitting there and I was like, man, what if, what if, what if I'm wrong? Well, what if I'm wrong and there is no afterlife? And this peace just came in. I was like, no, that's our hope. That's our faith. That's what we believe. There's a place called heaven. We need to live here, not for here. We need to live here for there. And sometimes that means discomfort. Are you willing to get uncomfortable in order to experience comfort? Got to quit chasing the world's comfort. Start chasing God's comfort. Let's pray.